Hello, podcast listeners. A quick notice before we get started. One of my other podcasts, When in Rome, is now fundraising on Kickstarter for the sixth series. When in Rome has been going since 2015, and for more than 60 episodes, it has been exploring place and space in the Roman Empire. So if you've ever gone, hey, that's a nice Roman building, I'd like to know more about that, or hey, look at that site, that's a nice Roman site, I'd like to hear more about that, then this is the podcast for you special nerdish people. So if you'd like to go to Kickstarter and check out the campaign, you can give your support, you can maybe get a nice When in Rome coffee mug. The fundraiser will be going until October the 6th. Hope you'll check it out, and thanks. Welcome to Raising Standards with Rhiannon Evans and Max Smith, a true Roman history podcast for true Romans. Hail Caesar. Welcome to Raising Standards, an occasional rewatch podcast in which we take a fond look at HBO's Rome. I'm your host, Matt Smith, and with me as always will be Rhiannon Evans, a classicist from La Trobe University. In this interview, we speak to legionary Pullo himself, Ray Stevenson. Ray's performance as Pullo was the heart of Rome, and he brought a lovable, roguish, everyman quality to the role, while at the same time isn't somebody that I'd like to mess with. In the years since Rome, he has become famous as friend of Thor Volstagg in the Marvel films, and appeared in major roles in the television shows Vikings and Black Sails. He spoke to us recently from Bulgaria, where he's shooting a new film. We've really been enjoying uh, rewatching Rome. Oh, wow. uh, 15 years on. <laughs> it holds up really well. Time flies. Good grief. We, uh, we just watched the episode uh, where uh, Pullo's in the arena ah. after, after being put on trial. And, um, oh, yeah. They're dark days. <laughs> dark days for you or dark days for Pullo? Or both, really. <laughs> well, for Pullo. No, for Pullo. We still took. Um, Three days to shoot that scene. In fact, I've got the original um, drawing of the set, which was by the production designer. Yeah, right. Uh, he, he gave me this huge drawing when he did all the design for that the, for that wooden arena and all this. So, um, which looks very cool. That's actually in the apartment in Rome. So, mm. Mm. Uh, can you can you tell me about that scene? What's your memory of it? Because it was such a, an iconic scene for Pullo in the first series. Well, my memory of it three days, <laughs> but it was it was great. I mean, it's like. I think nothing short of a work of writing genius by Bruno Heller in that uh, you had these two characters, Paul and Verinus, who were at poles apart at this time. They couldn't be more further removed from each other in that, uh, you know, Verinus had seen the trials uh, of Polo and quite rightly been condemned to death because he was he descended into being nothing more than a knife man in the cities from the glory days of the Legion, as it were. He went to the arena to see him put to death properly, to close the chapter, to move on, and so like this. And when he got there, he saw that, uh, you know, Pullo fought. I mean, he wasn't going to until the Legion was, uh, was insulted. Mm. Then he fought back uh, to defend the third. Because the only thing left in Pullo's life was the honor of the Legion. He knew he'd, he'd lost his honor and all this. He said, just get on with it. Just finish it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done with living right? Then they insulted the Legion and the blood boils, but he does it for 13. 
and the genius of it was is that they kept throwing gladiators in to kill him. And even when he defeated them for the honor of the 13th, all that last vestige of what he had left of, uh, uh, of himself, they kept throwing more in. That was it. He was, he was the 13th Legion. And, and Varinus then has this amazing sort of epiphany and says, no, I'm not leaving a fellow comrade. Basically, in his mind, he'd earned his right. He'd fought. He, they kept throwing. Then this giant of a beast to come and basically see Pullo off mm. and Varinus that. It was just an amazing piece of writing. And at the end of it, he steps in to save his, his comrade, uh, his fellow sort of brother-in-arms. They end up tighter than they'd ever been, arm in arm, all sort of warriors together. From being so polemic, so distant, to being so tight, it's this this one gene that runs through, especially military guys or uh, and one women who um, who serve and serve together, and have seen stuff. But what matters is that one thing that that they won't give up on that one code of honor, sort of thing. And it was a work of genius to 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 put that out and to get that across. So I remember how inventive we got about ways to kill people. <laughs> and of course, one thing we wanted, I wanted to put in that about the shield. A shield was a principal weapon for the Roman soldier. In fact, if you lost your shield in battle, you could be put to death. Yeah. But the shield was used as a decapitation device. It was sharp on the edge. Of the, so we had that in. So we put that in. They take somebody's head off with a shield. The scudo. Mm. And whatever. And, uh, and then, you know, just throwing people left, right and center and getting whipping the crowd up. And then what I love is they use the graffiti. They then have graffiti on the walls <laughs> showing Pullo and Varinus fighting in the arena. This became a, a myth and became a legend and stuff. And so it was just, it kind of humanized, as I think the series did, looking at ancient Rome through the eyes of these two ordinary soldiers. Yeah. I remember the director turning up one time and I saw sandbags on the ground and I saw tram wires over the top. It's the three, four cameras we had. One was literally on a sandbag in the arena. So it doesn't matter where you went, it was picking up something from that view. Another one was working on a tram line, scooting across the top, shooting the crowd scenes and swinging around and shooting the... F so we'd do it again and again and again and again. And, and of course, getting many different aspects so you could feel that you were really orchestrated to be inside the fight and inside the emotion of it. Mm. Wow. It sounds immensely physical. Did you have to do any special training or were you, do you just have to do training to be Polo? Yeah, you just have to keep fit and the work itself keeps you fit. You know, so it's uh, generally been the case. I haven't done an action movie for a long while, so I'm just not fit now because I've got <laughs> a natural gym person, but I, um, I would always train with the stunt guys because they're the ones who who are you know making those those shots a reality. So, but you want to get that seamless crossover. So also when they're on screen, they're playing your character. So I work with them on that aspect. Yeah. You know, so uh, I, I do the stunt up to the point where it could become, in some way, dangerous, and therefore you know it doesn't make sense for me to me to do certain bits of it. But I and then come out of the stunt. There's a, a crossover of of work. Mm. I must admit, when you said sandbags, I thought it was going to be to soak up the blood. <laughs> but I hope there wasn't any. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you know, no, they kept having, having to top the blood up because the sand itself was soaking the blood up. <laughs> yeah. But some of the stories we heard about ancient Rome as well, which we couldn't actually put in the series, in the series. Oh, yeah. It was so, so bloody. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. So, so where did they find that, that big gladiator guy? He was so imposing. 
wasn't he? Yeah. I have no idea, but I'm glad they sent him back. And I actually, you should have seen, it was really weird. Like, the guy would smile a lot, right, when we weren't filming. I don't know whether it was like reassuring or more creepy because it was just like, he just had this big grin on his face. And you thought, my goodness me. And then you think, yeah, there were giants in Sardinia mm. at the time. You know, people talk of giants and stuff like that. So they were. These people would pop up every now. David and Goliath and stuff like this. They were, you know, whether they were another race or whether they were just oddballs of society that all of a sudden a giant popped up. But they were these colossus guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, they definitely found one for that scene, that's for sure. <laughs> Didn't they? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He was massive. No, I just wanted to say that, um, pick up on Ray's comment that um, Varinus isn't interested while Polo's just sitting there waiting for death. And I thought that that really conveyed well with the crowd as well. They're not interested in just seeing killing, mm. slaughter for the sake of it. They want bravery on show. Yeah. Mm. And the gladiators want to put a show on so they be, they get their little bit of their 15 minutes of celebrity. They can show their skills off while they, they put this dastardly guy to death. And Pullers say, no, nah, I'm not giving you your show. Just get it over with. I don't give a damn. So the crowd are pissed off. Gladiators are pissed off. Verena's pissed off. Pullo is just dejected, and then they insult the Legion. It, it was a great scene, but but what did you think of uh, the arc of taking Pullo to that point where he had killed Irene's fiance? I guess that that he'd killed the slave in anger. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't because of that. It was because he he was becoming a knife man in this. Yeah, it went down that path. Yeah, that was a very interesting issue about the slave because while he'd been away uh, with Marinas. He, he just couldn't stop thinking about this woman. He says, you know, he just beautiful line. He says, I don't know what it is. I just feel calm around her. And it was so true. It was Puller's honesty. And then he decides, you know, with Brinus's help to make, make her a free woman, make her his, his wife. And he's all made her a free woman. He comes in and then they cast Tiny Tim with a limp. This little guy, oh, God bless you, Master Puller. <laughs> now me and Irene can get married. And, go, and I'm going like, him? And at first, I was supposed to give him a sort of Steinbeck bear hug, which kind of killed him. And I went, no, no, he's a slave. I said, let's not forget where we are. I will erase him. He's nothing to me. And so that's what I do. There's columns there. That man is just like taken out. He's he's literally, are you kidding me? And he's such a sweetheart. And then, then all hell breaks loose and the women start crying and da-da-da-da-da. And Verenus comes down and he's upset. For me, it's like, what, I scratched your car. I'll buy you a new one. What's the matter with you? It's a bloody slave, right? Which is quite right for the time. And then yeah. Verenus says, in front of my children. And that's when Puller goes, oh, shit, I fucked up in front of his children. Not not about the slave. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget what slaves were at those days. I mean, you know, there was just like, you know, somebody's push bike. So, you know, I mean, the fact the guy even spoke to me, let alone had his way with, with my slave. These were completely different times. And there are certain parameters you've got to stick to, mm. certain sort of principles. And if you stick to the principles, you, you can dramatically go anywhere with the story and with the storytelling. But there are certain strict principles of staying within. He, he's in one of the most advanced or the most advanced military and economic machine on the planet. Mm. Right? They are gods among men. They've got marble building mm. skyscrapers in those days while people were still living in bloody huts. The slave is presumptuous. It just like swat a fly, just take him out. 
doesn't never cross your mind about how uh, 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 how morally wrong that is, humanly wrong, because they almost like it's a subhuman set. Mm. Yeah, I thought that the series was very consistent with that. Yeah, and, and you know, it's I mean, recent history. You don't have to look very far, much more than sixty years ago, before another one of our supposed advanced Western societies looked at a certain band of human beings as a subhuman set and created a genocide against them. It's kind of a, a testament to your portrayal there that he's still an empathetic character, that we still care what happens to him. Well, yeah, because so long as it's dealt with honestly, mm. you can't blame a man for being in the period he's in. Yeah, and I, I feel like other representations of Rome have tried to gloss over that. They gloss over a lot and that you start getting these, these gym bodies coming out and you think, hmm, very nice, yeah. So I'm playing this <laughs> legionnaire who works out a bit. Puller didn't work out. He just was a big farm boy, you know what I mean? But he would wield an iron sword forever and a day, you know, and he would pull an ox out of a field. He definitely didn't go and bench press, well, unless it was two fillies or three or four. <laughs> also, what I, what I love as well is that um, people had their own gods, depending on which part of the country they came from, which part of society they came from. Like Verenus would go to his god to make his offerings and make his supplications. Puller would spread bet. It'd be like two chickens for this one, a goat here and a rabbit there. Maybe I've got it covered. Right. And I like that about it because, he, you know, he, he still he still was deferential to the gods, but he would spread bet. Yeah. The cockroach when you were in the in the pit waiting uh, for the um, for the fight in the arena yeah. there praying with a cockroach. And I yeah. half expected you to go grab another cockroach and go, right, Janus. Let's have a chat, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually sacrifices the yeah. cockroach, yeah, yeah. I remember. Big, big, That's all you've got. Oh, yeah. 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 It was a good death for the cockroach. <laughs> it was a big fucker as well. Big, <laughs> it's squishy. Squishy and a bit crunchy. Yeah. So they didn't give you a prop? That was real? No, it was a, it was a prop. <laughs> yeah. No cockroaches were harmed in the filming of Before we start getting emails. <laughs> No, no, no. It was a yeah, definitely was a problem. I mean, there was a real one, and then there were obviously in the hand. There was a problem. Mm. Good. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Can we um, talk about the start of Rome for you? How you got the part? They were three or four months or longer looking for. That's what I found out afterwards. Looking for the character of Puller. They had Verenus, but then they had to put this character there. I was actually filming my first movie. King Arthur, who knew? It was Antoine Foucault with Mads Mikkelsen, Joel Edgerton, tremendous cast. So, uh, uh, Johan Griffiths, Kira Knightley, oh, yeah, Tybo, yeah. and Roman again. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> what a great move. What a great, memorable move. Anyway, um, we were busy filming that six months in, in, in Ireland, up to the eyes in muck and bullets on horseback. And I had a skinhead haircut. And the weird thing was, I'd just come off a play, Duchess of Malfi, with uh, Janet McTeer. I was at the National Theatre. And I had my hair as a skinhead. And I couldn't make the first round of auditions for that King Arthur movie. And I knew when I walked in, the director and all that were next door. And she was looking at me because uh, uh, it was supposed to be her suit, hairy ass actors. I come in with the number one buzz cut. But I got the part. And so that was, uh, we were filming the end of the movie. We were back in Pinewood Studios. And it's where I meet my demise in, in that movie on the ice fields with the vikings and so i was i was in the getting shot with arrows all day drowned in the pool da 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 da, da. and i got this uh this call in and i went into the audition and i remember anthemopoulos was there bruno heller oh, i've got two others i can't remember and then there was this 
little place in front of them. They were raised up a bit. And I just went in there. I just went straight for them because I was like full of the vim of filming that day. And I just went straight and introduced myself. And they're all going like, whoa, who's, who, who the hell's... <laughs> just bounce bouncing in i go in there and i said right let's get over it because i've been up and down on ice flows and in what i just threw myself into this scene i can't even remember what the hell the scene was just like bah, 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 blew it all apart and then i said well, thank you very much and left right i think bruno was telling me he says you have no idea he says we've been months and months and months looking for who the hell's going to play this He's kind of like an everyman, but he's larger than life. But there's something endearing. But he's like, he says, you came in like this tsunami. <laughs> like, boom, uh, introduce yourself, went down there, blew the stage of passes, right? Thanks very much. And you're off. And he said, that, that was full <laughs> They said, you've no idea the joy we felt looking around because they've been looking for him. It's a lesson to actors is that, you know, yeah. auditions are not tests, right? They really want it to be you. Right, they're really hoping that you're gonna walk, you are gonna walk in, you're gonna be, and you you don't know what's in their uh, heads and heart, hearts, hearts and heads. You can't fail it. You're either right for it or you're not. It's like you know, either fit those parameters or or you maybe mm. fit the parameters for another role. I mean, you can fail an audition by you know, turning up completely wasted and telling everybody that they're you know complaining about their fashion sense. But you know, other than that, uh, it's just go in there. Be as honest as you can. Throw you, immerse yourself into it. You've got three minutes to be an actor because chances are you're auditioning because you're not in work. But you've got three minutes to be an actor. So go in there, enjoy the three minutes and leave. And it's just like, if it's yours, it's yours. Do you have a question at this point? Because otherwise I'm yeah. going to... I, I want to I talk about the how you feel about the ending, but I don't know if it's too soon to bring that up. Go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about where Rome was left? And uh, are there any signs it might ever come well, back? I feel very sad. I feel I feel very sad about it because um, because of circumstances out of our control. Uh, we were told before we actually started shooting season two that that was going to be the last season, and it was very sad. And Bruno Heller had to basically wrap up the next two three seasons into one, which was a whole Egypt story. I mean, it would have been immense. It would have been Oops. incredible, but those were decisions mm. made for whatever their reasons are. And I understand that HBO even came out later and said they were, they'd made an error because it hadn't opened yet. And of course, while we're shooting season two, knowing it's the last one and all the writing had been, you know, uh, season one opened to tremendous figures. And season two, when that finally came out, went ballistic. And by that time, it's too late. All the actors had moved on, working here, that, uh, it was a shame. But it, it got me my representation in the States. Yeah. It got me my, my current partner, who's the mother of my three children. We now live in Ibiza with a rescue dog and three three boys. She was my landlady in Rome. Basically, I rented an apartment. <laughs> yeah, you've, no idea. you've no idea. I walked in looking for an apartment, and this woman walks in and says, so you want to rent my apartment? And I'm going like, yeah, right, where's the camera? This is a wind-up, right? But no, this, uh, this crazy-ass Italian woman's now the mother of my three boys, and we live in Ibiza. Yeah. And the rent went up. What can I say? <laughs> so Rome changed my life. Rome completely changed my life. Uh, the 13th. And I started my movie career in my 40s without moving to L.A. So I can't, I'm, in a way, you know, you can never try and second guess history. It is what it is. And you can never cry over things that might have been because you have no idea what might have come along with them or may not have come along. So I'm not going to sit and decry my lot when I've been blessed with such abundance. So. 
So what about Pullo's ending, though, uh, walking off into the streets of Rome with his son, Caesarian? I like that. Listen, uh, about your father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to avenge my father. <laughs> I remember Bruno telling me the first, we nearly shot it, actually, the very first scene for the whole of Rome was going to be Pullo, and actually we did the prosthetics, as an octogenarian, looking a bit like Biden, shall we say, walking down this the Apia Antigua, where the banks <laughs> of a river, probably it's too small to be the Tiber, but a beautiful babbling brook, sort of flowing river, sunny day. And he's there, and he, he unfurls this. There's a white sarcophagus, marble sarcophagus, and it's Varinus's. And he's there, and he's got a flagon of wine. He's got this wrapped hessian. He unwraps this hessian, and it's Varinus's sword, mm. or Pullo's sword. I think it's Varinus's. And this flagon, he downs the wine, Right, pours some on the on the white marble of Varinus's grave, takes the sword out, and whoop! and as his head hits the deck, he's looking across the glistening water, and the fish leap out, and one fish leaps out, and the glint of the mm. sun on the fish leaping out is the glint of the sword into the very first scene of them in battle in Gaul, as he's going, pull out, get your ass back here, so. And I and I asked Bruno one person, where's this come from? Why is this character, Pullo, who seems to be bullets bounce off? He seems to just, yeah. you know, why does he kill himself? And he said, aha, because Octavian, who is now Augustus, asks him to. Because he's the last one on the planet that remembers Augustus, Caesar, as a human being, as Octavian. And he's now a demigod. Mm. And he, he asks his last person ever to have that connection with his, that frailty of humanity. Pullo, I think it's time you dispatch yourself. He says, well, that's what you decide. I'll go do it. That's really poignant. Isn't it just a work of freaking genius that should have been there? However, yeah. you know, so. <laughs> it wasn't in there, yeah. No, no, so, no. so that's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that would have been your ending. I mean, it, it shows that he's he's Octavian's man to the end, which I, I guess is something that it was really strong through the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Octavian's the one who asked him to ask. He's the only one who can yeah. take out Pullo. <laughs> of course, he's Octavian's advisor. You can imagine him walking around the palace and there are all these other dignitaries going, the fuck is this man doing mm, here? Mm. But he's bulletproof because he, he just basically didn't have any agenda or any sort of overt ambition. Right, he lets the gods decide, and who who's he to go against that? He is where he yeah. is, and that's where he's meant to be. And he bloody well get on with it, like building a raft of dead people. <laughs> that was also a great scene. That, that was a good scene. Genius. Yeah. 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 So if if that was the start yeah. and the ending, so that was then meant to go into the the bat. I remember the battle scene in he episode didn't. one, which I think has it, so far has been the only battle scene that we've really seen in the show. Is a uh, the start of the, se yeah. the series. So, yeah, that would have been the start of it, would have been a much more gentler, more Elysium type of mm. thing. And then going into the battle, which would have been, uh, I mean, it's just, I just think as a piece of writing to have an 80 year old guy commit suicide who's obviously lived through it all and nothing could touch him, and then ask him, why? Well, yeah. Octavian asked him. You kind of you get it. When you're in that mm. world, you go, actually, yeah, I, I can see why Octavian would ask him. And it's like, I can see why he killed the slave. I, I can see why he descended it. So all these things can be really fleshed out and really um, uh, realized in a dramatic sense. 
So, you know, there's an undercurrent of, of really superb, thoughtful writing. And the portrayal of a, <laughs> of a male bonding, a male friendship, like where the wife would say, you know, what do you do with that retrobate? And you go like, I don't know. I fucking hate him. But he's my best mate. Yeah. I died for him, but I, yeah, he's an arsehole. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and uh, got guys everywhere going like, "My God, yeah, you got it, you nailed it." But you know, my best mate, he's a fucking toe rag, but I just, I love him the bits. But yeah, what you do, I don't know. I just we've been mates for twenty five years. What, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it'd be quite easy to get that wrong, I would think. But uh, it's absolutely believable. Well, this was one of the big uh, perils uh, is that early on, I was having, you know, everybody coming up to me going like, oh, I love your character. He's this. And somebody else, oh, I really love your character because he's this. And they were all correct. And they were all completely different because he was, a, he was like an everyman. And you can't play an everyman because you, you start jumping through so many hoops and you start diluting the character too much, you would lose the sense of him being a real person. It's a, it's a label that gets applied from a distance. You can't apply it from inside. There was its complexity and what looks like simplicity in that oh, he's very straightforward. He's very this, he's very that. Yes, he is, but he's also very this and very this and very this. Mm. And he sees the world in black and white, but he also sees that everybody else sees the world in all the shades of gray and operate in that. But he sees, he says, no, no, nuts. This is where the gods put us. It's simple, right? Everybody else trying to work out the politics and strategize and this and that and, the, and infighting mm. and family and all that. And he goes, well, it's, it's fucking simple, mate. It's this. It's sometimes that brutal honesty can be disarming. Like people won't trust people who are not ambitious. And he says, well, that's not my problem, you know, <laughs> unless you want to make it my problem. It's like in the gambling den where he gets cheated. It's just like, mate, I hate losing. I hate losing my money, but I fucking hate cheats more. And he knows that if he goes for this guy, he'd probably get killed there, but he can't let him go. So puts a knife through his throat and he's going to fight his way out of there. And of course, that's where he ends up with the trepanning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. God, he goes through it. <laughs> yeah, he does. You forget about <laughs> that. Yeah, fun. yeah. You know? When he catches the guy with cheating, there's this sadness to Pullo. He goes, mate, really? I'm used to losing, but being cheated? It's like, oh, fuck. I'm disappointed. You, know? mm. you sound like you've got a lot in common with Pullo uh, without perhaps the, the murderous tendencies. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's yeah. like all these things. I mean, it's like he resonates. Playing that character really it resonates with me all throughout my whole life because, I mean, obviously you draw on aspects that you don't know we're there or whatever it's like everything you play and i i find pull up popping up all the time yeah 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 i mean i can't help it i mean i still got the 13th legion ring because <laughs> it's been changed my life do you have it on i'll show you i've got the costume ring on at the minute i just i'm wearing this costume ring because it's uh i don't want to yeah. lose it i made this as a, as a gift for them as well can you read that Thirteenth. Ah, uh, yeah. Thirteenth. Thirteenth in Roman numerals. Yeah. yeah. And now, of course, because I've had it since since then, my own fingers like that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've got a character <laughs> ring from every job I've done <laughs> because <laughs> I can't wear the thirteenth. So I've got character rings for this finger from all these different jobs. That's an unexpected sort of thing. But the thirteenth is with me all the time. Yeah. It's been so wonderful hearing about your memories. You've um, probably got Bulgaria to explore. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, it's not going anywhere. 
it's not going anywhere. But uh, guys, if you want to talk, if you think of anything that uh, further, yeah. as you can see, as you can see, I'm more than happy to try and remember and try and think of anything and da da da. If you think of anything, then don't hesitate to call or, or write write a message. Um, and I'll I'll try and get to you as much as possible. I think it's just wonderful that you're keeping this um, this story alive because it does resonate, and uh, it's a great delight to me. Uh, well, look, we, we really appreciate your time. It's uh, it's great to be able to get the chance to to talk to you. And I I, I didn't even gush about Volstag. I, I'm trying to control myself ah! to, get, <laughs> to talk about that. My appetite for apathy. That was another. <laughs> I've got a big Volstag rig. There was a, a Ken Branner called me up and saying like. Ray, um, I know you're a big strapping lad, but it's going to be a fat suit. I said, are you directing, Ken? He says, yes, and I'm in. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be a big fat suit and a big red wig and a big red beard. I went, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to be a Viking in space? Yes, yeah. <laughs> and there's a, bit of, there's a lot of polo in there. <laughs> I think that just means that there's a lot of Ray in there, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> and then Blackbeard. There's another, yeah. Uh, God, I've had some fun. We might do that, especially uh, towards the end of season two. We might uh, drop you a line and see if we can talk to you about your arc sure, in that mate. season and uh, and oh, yes. Egypt and and everything like that. Chip, I don't trust anybody who worships somebody with a head of a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it the way the way the, that the, they, they had me the start of the season in Egypt. There's this colossal sculpture lying half buried in the sand. I'm just stood pissing on his head, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying, "God, it's hot." Hotter than Vulcan's dick, <laughs> but that's you know that's pull a bunch of jippos, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure, and I hope Absolutely. we get to talk again. I'm sure. Yeah. Take care. Right. Thanks right. very much, guys. Enjoy. Have a great day. Goodbye. Ave. Ave. <laughs> You've been listening to Raising Standards, an occasional rewatch podcast in which we take a fond look at HBO's Rome with Rhiannon Evans and Matt Smith. You can find this podcast as well as our other podcasts, Emperors of Rome and When in Rome, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may cast your pod. Please subscribe and leave a review. They are always very appreciated. You can like Raising Standards on the Emperors of Rome Facebook page, and you can follow both myself and Rhiannon on Twitter. Rhiannon is at Dr. Rhiannon Evans, I am at Nightlight Guy, and the podcast is at Rome Podcast. That's it today for Raising Standards, so until the next episode, I'm Matt Smith, you've been fantastic, and thanks for listening.